All right, I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 16 verses of Jonah chapter 1. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will, have, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us. Please pray with me. O Lord, as we now open your word, we pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Amen. Have you ever felt called to a really difficult task, something that you knew that was going to be hard and demanding and time-consuming, but something that you knew was also right? What did you do? Did you have that difficult conversation? Did you do that difficult thing? Or did you turn and hightail it completely in the other direction? Can you imagine if Luther decided to fold when he was at Worms 
or if Machen succumbed when he was pressed by what is now the PCUSA. In tonight's passage, we are going to see that we serve a sovereign God and nothing we do can ever thwart his plans. Almighty God is going to execute his decree regardless if his prophet is less than enthusiastic about it. We, we are going to see that it is in fact futile to try to flee from God's calling in one's life through the foolish attempt here of his prophet Jonah. You see, Jonah is called by God to bring salvation to the enemies of God's people. And so he does everything in his power to run from this charge. But we will see that, that we cannot escape the plans of God because he is everywhere, he knows everything, and he has everything at his disposal. And tonight we are going to see that, that because Christ did not run from his calling, we can have hope and compassion in ours. And to do that this evening, we're going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at a call ignored, second, a prophet running, and third, a salvation restored. Again, that's a call ignored, a prophet running, and a salvation restored. So with that, let's get started this evening by taking a look at our first point, a call ignored. It's important to get a little bit of historical context as we get going. And while some have dismissed this book as fiction, we know that it is the inerrant inspired word of God. We see that in 2 Kings 14, it mentions that Jonah was, was living during the time of Jeroboam II. So this puts him in the ballpark of 793 to 753 B.C. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also refers to Jonah as a historical person in Matthew 12. Now this book does differ from other prophetic texts uh, in that it focuses more on the prophet than his prophetic message. We see Jonah's reaction to God sending him and we see his reaction to the notion of salvation to the Ninevites. And while this book no, makes no reference to its author, only Jonah himself could have, only, could have known the things that are recorded in it. So it's with this in mind now that we come to verses 1 and 2 in our text, where we read, now the, Lord, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here is the call of God's prophet, that is to say God's mouthpiece, Jonah, the son of Amittai. He's called to go to that great pagan city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was, was a major city of the Assyrians, those great enemies of God's chosen people. These are the same Assyrians to which the northern kingdom is going to fall in 722 B.C., now, during this time, as reported in the 2 Kings 14 passage I mentioned earlier, Israel, that is to say, the northern kingdom, was experiencing a great time of prosperity. Their borders were even extending as far as they were during the time of David and Solomon. So the nation was, was strong and, and things were good. Now, geographically, Nineveh lies over 500 miles to the northeast of Israel on the bank of the Tigris River. And this city is referred to as Great 14 times in the four chapters of this book. It's so massive, in fact, that we read in Jonah chapter 3 that it took a three days journey to walk across it. We also know something about the city and that it's referred to as evil or disastrous nine times. So this is the setting that Jonah is called by God to minister in. 
And we are going to see that the Lord is a God of boundless compassion, not just for the chosen people of Israel, but also for outsiders. And because of this, we see Jonah's response in verse 3 where we read, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So in this one verse, Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. God's prophet hears God's call to go to Nineveh and essentially says, no, I think I'm good. Instead of going over 500 miles northeast, I'm going to head straight west to Tarshish, which is effectively the other side of the known world. Now, Jonah, which means dove, was a symbol of Israel being silly and senseless, as we see in Hosea chapter 7. Now, he thinks he's going to escape our almighty, sovereign, and omnipresent, that is to say, everywhere God, by hopping in a ship, by nestling deep down in its hull, and then heading completely in the opposite direction. Brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves this evening, how often are we just as foolish as Jonah appears to be here in our own lives? How often has God set up that perfect evangelistic opportunity right there on the tee for you just to watch you cower in fear? Going back to our passage uh, this morning with Pastor Dale's message, husbands, how often has God called us to love our wives only to hear our harsh words? Or how often has our Heavenly Father told us to forgive only to hear us hold a grudge? But our sovereign God is going to carry out his plans. And he's going to do the work of sanctification in his people one way or another. This brings us to our second point this evening, a prophet running. So we see now that the Lord's plans are not going to be thwarted by the disobedience of his prophet, as we see here in verse 4. We read, But the Lord hurled a great windstorm upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. It's as if Almighty God was saying, You want to try to run away from me? Good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. And so he commands the wind and the waves, and he stirs up this great storm on the sea, a storm so strong that the ship itself is on the verge of breaking up, a storm so strong that we see these rough-and-tumble sailors that are also on the ship are scared out of their minds. We see that every single one of these salty dogs, as it were, cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The picture here is one of complete and total desperation. The men who are scrambling for their lives are not white-collar workers on some pleasure cruise that has gone terribly wrong. These are tried and true mariners. They've seen it all. They've been through it all. And they are utterly brought to the end of themselves by this act of Almighty God. And we see this because they start chucking their cargo overboard. These guys are so scared that they're well beyond any prospect of getting paid or even worrying about having to pay for the goods lost on this particular voyage. These guys are purely in survival mode and they're doing everything in their power just to see tomorrow. But where do we see God's prophet in all of this? We continue reading. But Jonah, 
had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah ran away not because he was insensible concerning what was taking place, but because he knew that he was a fugitive from the presence of God. Jonah checks out in order to escape what's being required of him. This is the disobedience of this fleeing prophet. We can relate too, can't we? We often find ourselves, uh, we also often find ourselves in this position. We, we know that we are faltering in one particular area of our life. and We just decide to occupy our time with this or that or just sleep it off in an effort to try to escape having to deal with it. But God does not allow Jonah to wallow in this low condition very long, as we see in verse 6, where we read, The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. So here we have a pagan captain coming to God's prophet to tell him to pray for the sake of these people. So not only is Jonah not praying and bringing the message of salvation to the Ninevites in order that they may be saved, but he's also leaving these sailors on this ship to pray to false gods. But this captain, in his desperate estate, rebukes Jonah to get up and to pray to the one true God in order that these men might be spared. And as we continue, we see God providentially working things out in verses 7 and 8. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So as Calvin says concerning this verse, when a calamity happens, it is the duty of everyone to examine himself and his whole life before God. Then everyone from the first to the last must confess that he bears a just judgment. And that's what we see happening here. These sailors are ferociously looking for some way to salvation. And so they cast lots which point to Jonah. So their rapid fire questioning starts. You know, why is this happening? What do you do for a living? Where are you from? What people do you belong to? And after the lot fell on Jonah, these guys knew that he was guilty. And Jonah knew it too. Jonah tells him as much. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He tells him, yeah, I'm one of God's chosen people who have been given his law. You know, I, I know and worship the one true God, the one who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, the one who's in control of this very storm and this very sea. Jonah is rightly accused, and Jonah comes clean. Often is it now the case with us that we too wait until our lives are a complete mess before we come clean to our Heavenly Father. Just as in Jonah's day, God knows all and is sovereign over all. So why do we wait? Why do we hide? Why, why do we not seek to repent from that besetting sin? God sees all of it. While you may be fooling those around you, God knows what websites you're visiting. 
God knows what substances you're putting into your body. God knows who or what you're putting your trust in. Jonah couldn't run from God. Brothers and sisters, we can't either. This brings us to our third point this evening, a salvation restored. At this news we read, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So now that Jonah has come clean about who he is and whom he serves, these men are scared. They're they're petrified. And again, we see pagans rebuke God's prophet and ask him for answers. After all, this, this horrible tempest is only getting worse and worse, and Jonah has shared that he is the direct reason why this is, is happening. And so Jonah, not necessarily in a state of repentance, says to them in verse 12, he says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah knows his guilt and he knows what is the just thing to do. He must be thrown off the boat for the sake of these sailors and he accepts his fate for trying to flee and for trying to disobey Almighty God. And again, these pagans proved to be more righteous than Jonah in verse 13 and 14 where we read, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Even after Jonah tells these mariners what must be done, they try their best to preserve his life. Only when they cannot save themselves do they cry out to God to save them from shedding innocent blood. Now remember, there's this common grace covenant that we read about in Genesis 8 and 9. Even these pagans have some semblance of what you could read in Genesis 9-6. That was a covenant that was made with all of creation. But Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. People don't need to necessarily know the word of God to know that man is valued for some reason. That the life of man is important. These, these, these sailors know it, and in their hour of desperation, they turn in supplication to Almighty God. They turn to the very God that Jonah should have turned to to ask for help the whole time. And after every option was exhausted, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Calvin says in his commentaries, the sailors and the passengers were not only touched with the fear of God, but that they also had the impression that the God of Israel was the supreme king of heaven and earth, that he held all things under his hand and government. This fear, no doubt, led them to true knowledge so as to know that they were previously deluded and that whatever the world had invented was mere delusion and that the gods devised by the fancies of men were nothing else but mere idols. 
These men knew that the false gods that they had served previously were just that, false gods. It's only when they discovered God's prophet, when they learned of the one true God, and did what the prophet commanded them, that the storm subsided. And we see this when we look at verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So not only are the Ninevites going to hear of God's salvation by Jonah's being thrown into the water, but so are these sailors. It's as if God used Jonah's little tantrum to save even more outsiders. And after being saved, these guys offer a sacrifice to the Lord and take vows. God uses even the foolish disobedience of his prophet for the good of his people. So, what does our passage have to do with us here this evening? Well, we, just like the sailors in this passage, are in need of a sacrifice. One that will save us from the storm of our own sin and the sin of those around us. We have the benefit of of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who also commanded the wind and the waves because he is God. And we know that he died in our place on the cross in order that we might become the righteousness of God. We we know that, that though our Lord and Savior pleaded with God the Father at Gethsemane, he still drank the cup of wrath down to the dregs. We know that while he set sweat drops of blood, he still said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in doing so, he brought salvation not only to believing Jews, but to believing Gentiles. So just as Jonah became the saving sacrifice for those mariners on that day as he hit the water, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, became our saving sacrifice that day at Calvary. He died in our place on the cross, ensuring that our salvation is not contingent upon our own obedience. We can also see how comforting it is to know that our Heavenly Father is is so good and powerful and just and loving that He can even use our mistakes for the good of His people. While God permits these things to happen, he's not the author of our sin, but even in permitting these things to happen, he can still use our faults for his good purposes. Now, this shouldn't give us license to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it, but it's freeing to know that that we are so loved that our salvation is no longer contingent upon how we perform. If it was, we'd all be sunk. We'd all be lost. Is because that we are saved and are given a new heart in Jesus Christ, because we have been given the Holy Spirit after his ascension, that we can once again do good works unto God that are in accordance with his revealed word and are out of love for him. It's how we can grow more and more in our assurance of our salvation. Christ tells us that, that, that we will know his people because they love him and because they keep his commandments. But the reason they keep his commandments is because they have been born again by the Spirit of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is it that you feel that the Lord is, is, is calling you to do for, for his glory and the good of his kingdom? Is he calling you to share the gospel with that particular coworker or, or that loved one or, or, or that friend? Is he perhaps calling you to serve in the ministry in some capacity? Is it possible that he's just calling you to be faithful and to trust him in one particular area 
of your life tonight. Pray that the Lord would give you both the grace and the power by the Holy Spirit to serve him in whatever it is that he is calling you to do. And and, and know what it is to abide in him and his promises rather than foolishly running away from God and his plan. As we see in our passage this evening, it's futile and foolish to run. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we praise you as our great creator, that you created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them by the word of your power in the space of six days and all very good. We praise you that that your mercies are new each and every day. Father, please forgive us for all the ways that we have failed you, for all the ways that, that we have failed to do what we ought. And thank you that our salvation is based solely on the merits of Jesus Christ your only begotten Son, our Lord. Help us now to live lives of gratitude and service to you in the days to come. Please guide us by your Spirit to, glory, to your glory alone. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, I'd like to ask you to rise now and sing our hymn of response. Training hymnal number 600, He leadeth me, O blessed thought.
as you go into your week receive now the lord's blessing may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit be and abide with you all amen